Well, good afternoon, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good, good. My name is Greg McCormick. I'm the pastor here at Change Point Northeast Anchorage. It's good to have you here with us today. We're in a fifth week of our series that we've entitled What Every Christ Follower Should Know. And I will tell you, this topic today is a topic for spiritual warfare. There's no doubt in my mind that the enemy has tried everything that he has uh, in his arsenal to prevent me from teaching this message today. The topic for today is, do heaven and hell really exist? Do heaven and hell really exist? Now, we have only uh, two more weeks in this series, and uh, then we're going to begin a journey through the book of Philippians that's going to start uh, in September, but uh, stay tuned for the, the next couple of weeks. It's going to be awesome as we wrap up this series. Before I, um, before I continue, I want to acknowledge some people here in our church family. I want to acknowledge all of you, actually, for your kind words of expression, your words of encouragement for us, Pelzetta and I, how you brought meals over, you prayed for us, showered us with, with love. Uh, during a very difficult time for us uh, over the last few weeks as my, my brother-in-law passed away. And I got to tell you, I am, I am overwhelmed at your generosity and love towards us as a family. We are truly a family. And so thank you very much for the way that you've responded to us in our time of need. Do heaven and hell really exist? Well, I can tell you this, Hollywood has no problem with declaring that heaven and hell are real. None at all. We see it all of the time. Take a look at this video clip. Strength and honor. Strength and honor. Strength and honor. At my signal, unleash hell. Three weeks from now, I will be harvesting my crops. Imagine where you will be. And it will be so. Hold the line. Stay with me. If you find yourself alone, riding in green fields with the sun on your face, do not be troubled. For you are in Elysium. And you're already dead! <laughs> Brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. What we do in life echoes in eternity. I want to say it a different way. The decision that we make in this life determines where we will spend eternity, determines where our next destination will be. Do heaven and hell really exist? I'd say this, almost every society known to man believes in an afterlife. 
And most people within society believes that there is an afterlife of some sort that awaits us when we die. Most believe that it's heaven or hell. Now, I'd say this. It's impossible for me to cover this, this topic in just one setting. It's, it's really impossible for me to, to really be thorough on, on, on heaven and hell. But what I will do today, it's my goal to make sure that you 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 understand that you're in the position right now while there's breath in your body to make a decision on where you will spend eternity. Now, what I'm going to say to you today is going to be kind of harsh, really harsh. It's going to be sobering. And I apologize in advance if, if, if the words that I'm going to say today causes any of you distress or duress or harm. I want to apologize to you in advance. But what I will not apologize for is the truth of God's word because it should be sobering. I want to cover three things today. First, do heaven and hell really exist? And then second, I want to clarify some common misunderstandings and misconceptions about heaven and hell. And then finally, I want to cover how we should live our lives. If we really believe in the existence of heaven and hell, how does that affect us in our daily lives? Okay? Do heaven and hell really exist? The answer is yes. Heaven and hell really does exist. And how do I know? Because my Bible tells me so. Because of the word of God. You know, five weeks ago when Scott Mariner stood up here, he opened up this series with the topic, Can the Bible Really Be Trusted? And he offered for us truth support and, and truth text and, and, and spiritual and supernatural um, um, uh, See, there you go. Enemies mess with me already. Super natural confirmation that the Bible exists, that every word in this book is valid, that every word in this book is authentic, that every word in this book is timeless, that every word in this book is the infallible, written, living, breathing word of God. How many of you agree with that? He gave us extra biblical documentation, thousands and thousands of proof sources to show that God's word is reliable and it can be trusted. Then last week, Lee Hudson addressed the topic, is Jesus the only way to heaven? And again, I'd have to say, yes, he is. And Lee supported his claim that that Jesus is the only way to heaven by giving us what Jesus himself told us. Here's what he said, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. Then he told us that there's something that if we want to experience the lordship of Jesus in our lives, there's something we have to do. We have to surrender to his love for us. We have to surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We have to agree that that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that that his atoning work on the cross is enough for us. It is our ticket to eternity with God. Jesus is the way, 
And the person who speaks more about heaven and hell specifically in the Bible than anyone else in Scripture is Jesus Christ. And I'd say this, he should know. He would know. John tells us in, 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 in John chapter 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God incarnate in the flesh comes down and dwells amongst us and validates and verifies, yes, I am God incarnate. Yes, I am the only way. I am the living God. And I am the way to heaven. <laughs> Do heaven and hell really exist? They do. Let's see what Jesus says about it. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 21. Now, I want to tell you, you need, if you have your Bibles with you, you may want to get out your writing instrument, too, because we're going we're gonna to have tons of Scripture that we're going to give you. You won't be able to dissect it all, so I encourage you to go back and, in your spare time, look over these passages of Scripture. I will tell you this, that every passage of Scripture, every verse of Scripture that I use today is taken in its context. What did Jesus have to say about heaven and hell? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, he says, you have heard that it was said of those of old that you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable of judgment, or to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the fire of hell. Jesus goes on to tell us in Matthew 13, verse 49, he says, and, it, and so it will be at the end of the age that the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. Hang that on a peg because we're going to come back to it. Separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into a fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus goes on to tell us in Mark chapter 9, verse 47. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. For it is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than with two. Be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Scott Mariner said something on this topic when he, when he taught this a couple weeks ago at Raspberry. He said, hell is a vivid reality in the mind of Jesus. It's vivid but heaven was foremost in his thoughts. Here's what Jesus has to say about, say about heaven. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure that a man discovers in a field. And he, he goes and he digs it up and he looks at it. And then he covers it back up and he goes and he sells all that he has so that he can possess it. And then Jesus tells us in John 14, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Take you to myself, so that where I am, you may also be, or you may be also. Everybody say heaven. Then Jesus says this, it's not going to be easy to get there. He tells us in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, he says, Narrow 
is the gate. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. It leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This is Jesus talking. This is Jesus speaking. Do heaven and hell really exist? Absolutely. Jesus knew that they existed. And Jesus did everything that he could to keep us from going there. To convince us of this reality. And yet, despite the clear teachings of Jesus, there are several common misconceptions about heaven and about hell. And I want to take some time today, and I want to clear up some of these common misconceptions. I want to address just a few of them. And hopefully, you'll walk out of here with more clarity about the existence of heaven and hell than you did when you walked in. The first common misconception about heaven is this. Heaven is not a great place. It's not that great. It's it's boring, it's mundane, same old, same old, never get dirty, dressed in long white robes, you just sing songs all day, where's the excitement in that? None of the fun people are going to be there. (laughs) Harps and, and robes and angels and it's not that great. But here's the truth. The truth is that heaven is the absolute best thing. And the value that waits for us in heaven is beyond human imagination and calculation. I'd say it this way. Waiting for us is unimaginable inheritance in heaven. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, Blessed be the God And the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then Paul tells us about heaven in in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, but it is written, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the imagination of men the good things that God has prepared for those who love him. Place of unimaginable inheritance. It's also a place of unimaginable joy without sorrow. Isaiah chapter 51, reading out of the New Living Testament, Isaiah says this, Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be filled with joy and gladness. And then John the Revelator writes for us in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. He says, he, talking about God now, will wipe away every tear from our eyes, from their eyes, and, and death shall be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. All things will be new. Heaven is a place of no more sorrow, no more pain. 
perfect peace. No war. We'll rest from our labor. Heaven is the absolute best thing. The second misconception about about heaven is that everyone will be treated the same in heaven. Perfect equality for everyone. Everybody gets the same reward regardless of how faithfully we've lived our lives on this earth. But the truth is, the Bible tells us that every single person is going to be rewarded individually for their faithfulness. Look at what the book of Revelation tells us in Revelation chapter 22. Let the evildoers still do evil. And the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Then Jesus says in Matthew chapter chapter 16, verse 27, he says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then will he repay every person according to what he has done. Individual rewards. But now let me ask you this. Do you think when we get to heaven, we're going to care who's get, who gets the biggest reward? I mean, think about it. Don't you think that we'll just be excited to be there? <laughs> Beats the alternative, doesn't it? Heaven is the ultimate best. And if heaven is the ultimate best, then hell is absolutely, positively the ultimate worst thing, and you do not want to wind up there. Hell is identified in Scripture using several different names. Hell, Sheol, Guiana. Hades, all these words synonymously describe hell. Just to give you an example how these words were used in the Old Testament, the Valley of Hemnon, or Hinnom, which the word Guiana is derived from, is a, is a place that's located on the south side of Jerusalem. It's a place of, of human sacrifice where, where many, many children were offered up in sacrifice to the God of Moloch. Human bodies, the Bible tells us, were burned by the thousands there in sacrifice. And those that had, had been burned maybe as a result of war, thousands of bodies And because of the stench and the pain and the human sacrifice and the fact that God hated uh, uh, idol worship, this place was, was known as a place of pain and thus became a synonym for hell. So here's the point. No matter what term is being used, whether it's Hades or Guiana or Hinnom or hell, the point is, You don't want to end up there. The point is you don't want to wind up there. Let me give you some common misconceptions about hell. First, heaven's not so great. Hell can't be that bad. It's not all that bad. All the exciting and lively people will be there. All the, all the, the parties, the, the ceaseless parties that will be going on down there. 
can be unbelievable. You won't want to miss it. The place can be filled with entertainment and fun. All my friends are going to be there. It's going to be a place of laughter forever. I'll tell you something. Nothing, absolutely nothing that you will ever hear on this earth can be further from the truth. Here's the truth. If heaven is the ultimate best thing, family hell is the absolute ultimate worst thing. Hell is a place of total separation. You're not going to be partying with your friends. You're not going to be in a group of people having a fun. It's the ultimate place of separation and isolation. It's a place that's filled with darkness and great pain and fear. It's a place of severe and eternal punishment and death and destruction. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 25. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. And he will place his sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And then my father will say to those on the right, come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom that is prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. And he will say to those on the left, Depart, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, and these will go away into eternal punishment and the righteous into eternal life. Eternal punishment. Second misconception about hell is that hell is not forever. But the truth is, hell is forever. You know, there's, there's several different schools of thought as it relates to eternity. One school of thought is universal salvation, and there are two others that are mainstream themes of thought. I won't get into either one of them, uh, but I will, I will tell you them so that you can go out and look, look them up for yourself and do some research. One is annihilationist, the annihilationist viewpoint. And that's where you are, when you go into eternal punishment, it's capital punishment. You're punished and you're done. The other viewpoint is, tra is the traditional viewpoint, and that's the one that I subscribe to, and that is hell is forever. It is forever. There's another viewpoint that I want to kill today right now because I think it's dangerous. And it's this universal salvation. 
And it, 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 it supposes that after a time of suffering and, and pain that you're purged and, and, that, and that at that point that, and you, you repent and God forgives you of your sins and he reaches down into heaven and he grabs you and he restores you. Why? Because God, a loving God, would not allow people to be punished and tormented forever and forever. The passage that this, this doctrine uses to support their theology is found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, where the Lord is, is slow, is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but his patience towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But I tell you that this is a dangerous theology because this verse and this, and this doctrine is taken out of context. And for the full context of what, of what Peter's trying to say here, we've got to go back to verse 3 of that same passage and look at the entire thing. Here's what Peter writes. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and, and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord one day, but with the, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This passage in no way indicates that the ungodly will one day be rescued from hell. A matter of fact, this, this passage really merely speaks to the fact that our loving God pursues us pursues relationship with us until we draw our last breath because he does not want to see any of us perish. You don't get a second chance. You don't get a second chance to repent. Eternal punishment, the Bible says. Hell is a place of eternal torment and punishment. And you don't want to go there. Hell is forever. Hell is eternal isolation. It's eternal hopelessness. It's eternal helplessness. It's eternal despair. Hell is the absolute worst thing. And we know that it's the worst thing because it is the one thing that God sent his son to redeem us from, to rescue us from, so that we wouldn't have to spend eternity there. Don't miss that. 
Hell was never intended for us. Hell wasn't created for us. Hell is prepared for Satan and his angels. It was never intended for us. Jude tells us in Jude, verse 6, he says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the day, the, until the judgment of that great day. And then Peter writes and he says, For if God did not spare those angels when they sinned but cast them into hell and committed them to chains, and gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. That verse goes on to say, he will not spare the unrighteous either. Hell was prepared for Satan and his angels, but it's reserved also for the unrighteous. I hope this is sobering for you. Dr. Arthur E. Travis, in his book, Where on Earth is Heaven, writes, as he writes about hell being reserved for the unrighteous, he says, if a man, if man chooses to relate highly or rightly with God, then he becomes a child of God, and God is able to give himself to man with all the joys of a happy life on earth and the blessedness of eternity in heaven. When a free man being being when a few free human being uses his freedom to reject the truth of God and to refuse to relate rightly with him, then there is no alternative except to allow him to do so. And in making this choice, man re becomes responsible for the results of separation from God. He lives his life in this world without God, and when he dies, God will not pick him up against his will and drag him into a place so drastically different from the kind of person he has chosen to become. Our decision in this life determines our destination in the next. Our decision in this life determines our destination in the next. And this statement, this statement brings to us followers of Christ, and everyone in here who may not be, one primary issue that's at hand, and that's this. How should we live our lives in the reality that heaven and hell actually exist? And how should that reality affect the way that we live every day? How should it? On the day of judgment, we're going to stand before God and God's going to judge all of humanity and he's going to break us into two classes of people. Those who are destined to heaven because we've embraced the saving grace of Jesus Christ and we've surrendered to the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We recognize that. We've asked him to be Lord of our life. And then there will be those who have chosen not to. And here's the primary issue. It's a hard issue. 
I was sharing this yesterday with the point men. It's not enough just to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If we're not concerned about the lost, what are we doing? If we're not concerned about the reality of where our loved ones and our friends, our family will spend the rest of eternity, what are we doing? Paul writes for us in, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, if, if the gospel is hidden, is hidden from those who are perishing, when I was in high school, When I was in high school, there, there were people that came up to me and said, Greg, there's a guy that goes to another school that looks just like you. I said, really, I got to meet this guy. I said, yeah, man, he looks just like you. And one day I had a chance to meet this guy. I went back to my friends and I said, man, this guy doesn't look just like me. He's ugly. He looks nothing like me. What are you guys talking about? If the gospel is hidden, and we're supposed to be followers of Christ, learning how to be who Jesus would be if he were me, are people looking at, at us and saying, that doesn't look like Jesus, that's ugly. That looks nothing like Jesus. Is the Lord himself looking at us and saying, you don't look anything like me. My gospel is hidden by the way that you're living your life. Paul instructs us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, when we are in Christ, we are new creations. Family, listen to me. I know this is hard. I want it to be hard. We're talking about eternity here. We that are in Christ are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. And God has given to us, he's reconciled us through Jesus Christ, and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. And he sent us to be ambassadors, bearing his image, carrying his glory. How can the gospel be hidden if we are doing that? I want to challenge you today. Get close to Jesus. Experience who he really is. See what he looks like and then see what your life looks like in the light of who he is. And whatever is not like him, ask him to change you to be more and more like him every day.
So what? It's a question. Well, if heaven and hell are real and they are, and if the decision we make in this life will determine our destiny in the next, and it does, we should never be satisfied with having loved ones and family and close friends who don't know Jesus in our presence and not have a burning desire to see them in relationship with Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this. How many followers of Christ in the room? Everyone do this. Shut your eyes. Nobody looking. How many of you in here don't know that if you were to die right now that you would spend eternity with Jesus? I see your hands. I see your hands. Go ahead and put your hands down. Open your eyes. You don't have to leave here today without relationship with the Lord. You don't have to leave here today the same way that you came. You can leave here today knowing that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Is your name in the book? Do you know for certain that your name's in the book? Listen to me, listen to me. It is appointed to mankind once to die and after death to judgment. This has nothing to play with. Is your name in the book? Revelation chapter 20. John the Revelator writes, he says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, stand before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up their dead, or the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the fire. I want to close with this. I've had loved ones die where I questioned whether or not they knew Jesus. And it made me sad. And I've had loved ones die 
where I knew absolutely, unless something happened on their deathbed, that they did not know Jesus. And that made me sadder. And I'm here to tell you that it makes, it saddens the heart of Jesus too. Then I've had loved ones pass away where I knew in the part of me that knows things that their salvation was secure. And I'd say this, when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised by two things. We're going to be surprised by the people that are there and we're going to be surprised by some of the people who aren't there. I want to close with this. The Lord had been doing a work in my heart. But how to love people with the love of Christ, not judge. Several years ago, I reconciled with my brother-in-law who lived a, a very contradictory life. I led, I've led worship in churches for many years, and I understand worship, and I understand when people are intimate in worship with Jesus. And I watched this man worship Jesus like few that I've ever seen. But his life was filled with contradiction. As many of you know, Three or four weeks ago, my wife and I flew down to North Carolina because my brother-in-law had given, was given just days to live. And we went down there on a mission, man. Belzetta beat me to it. She got down there a couple days before I got there. But here was our mission. Man, I want to know if you know Jesus. By the time I got there... His breathing had gotten so shallow, his heart rate was 124, and he was breathing. He was labored in his breathing. He had much time to live. The room was clear except for my wife and I, and God gave me the greatest gift. He's weak. He couldn't even open up his eyes, and I leaned over his bed. I got close to him. I said, hey, man. I said, I got to know. I know you probably can't talk to me. I don't even want you to open up your eyes. I know you're weak, but here's what I got to know. I got to know that you know Jesus, man. And when you die, you're going to spend eternity with him, and I'm going to see you again. I got to know that. So I don't care what you do. Squeeze my hand, blink your eyes, something. Let me know. And I'll tell you something, man. When I mention relationship with Jesus, I his breathing started to slow down until it became almost normal. He tried to speak to me, but he's too weak. And I told him in that moment, I know. I know. Where will you spend eternity? Where will you spend eternity when you close your eyes for the last time? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life?
Do you absolutely, positively know beyond a shadow of doubt that if you were to die today that you'd spend eternity with Jesus? Be sure today. Why don't you stand with me? Leave the lights on, please. Father, you know I've been wrestling with this for many weeks. I don't know, Lord, I don't know. I wasn't trying to be eloquent in speech. I don't care. What I care is that your word was heard today. What I care about is that people right now that are standing in this room on their feet are checking and examining themselves to be sure that their relationship is solid with you. And so, Lord, I pray right now that if there's anyone here that has not embraced your truth, your good news, your saving grace, your grace that's provided for us for forgiveness of sin through the atoning work of you, my Lord Jesus, on the cross. May they know before they leave here today with total assurance that their relationship with you is intact and that they will spend eternity with you. I'm going to ask the prayer team to go to come forward, come to the edge of the stage. You might be here today and you might have done some soul searching and maybe you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you're like, hey, pastor, you just hit me right between the eyes with the message today and I, I, just, I just need to agree with someone in prayer. You need to take whatever it is that God is speaking to you in prayer with someone else. There'll be people here at the stage that will pray for you. If you're, if you're bold enough, you that, that raised your hands today, if you're bold enough to step forward and say, I want someone to agree with me in prayer today and be the first to welcome me into the family of Jesus Christ I'm going to be bold enough to step forward and surrender my life to Jesus so I'll know where I'll spend eternity. That's you today. As the band plays, why don't you come forward?